From sex abuse to child abuse, incest to murder, the story of Fred and Rosemary West is about as disturbing as it gets. In part one of our series on these twisted individuals, we'll explore their traumatic upbringings, the relationships they had prior to meeting, and the odd and criminal lifestyle they chose to live. We'll also take a look at their early murders and the terrible treatment of their young children. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought that kitten you got for your 12th birthday was awesome, stick around. It's nothing compared to the pussy that Fred West received on his. This is Necronomapod. I remember a couple of occasions, um, Rosemary has got an awful temper. And the one time she stabbed me in the arm with a knife uh, because Charmaine had been annoying her. And I got the brunt of it, basically. Another time we were at the sink, I was waiting to wash my cereal bowl up. And Charmaine was being awkward again. And Rosemary took the bowl off me, swore at me, and then hit me over the head with it. And I had a, a cut in my head. So it was a very, very hard situation that I was thinking back. Before we get started, just wanted to give everybody a quick uh, heads up that this uh, episode contains uh, a decent amount of child abuse, both physical uh, and sexual, as well as rape and incest. So uh, as always, listener discretion is advised. We know this might not be uh, up some people's alley of things they want to hear about. So just wanted to give you a heads up off the start. That being said, I hope you guys brought uh, your... uh, dancing shoes or your talking shoes today because i am hurting over here and i'm gonna need you guys to carry my ass through this episode you gonna like nap throughout or what are we talking about here you might just start hearing me snore <laughs> i am so tired all tonight right, right. This is the most tired i have ever been recording uh, an episode wow. i don't really know why yeah might be your best one then maybe so well yeah some people would argue that because i'll probably be my quietest one <laughs> like oh mike's the best when he shuts up so we'll see. It's a very interesting story, though. One of the most perverted uh, stories we've ever covered, I think. I would agree. There's a lot of depravity going on here. Yeah, this was uh, interesting notes to read in preparation for the show. So but are- before we jump into that, go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? No, I was going to say, are you tired from the 10,000 calorie Thanksgiving meal you had yesterday? Probably. Yeah. 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 How was your guys' Thanksgiving? Did you guys have good good days? Ian, you, you load up your turkey with cranberry sauce? I did. It was good. <laughs> green bean casserole on the side yeah Mm, sounds not great (laughs) this is uh people who are our patrons and heard the bonus episode we um had a a deep dive into our thanksgiving uh favorites so uh dave and i discovered that ian is a big fan of cranberry sauce and green bean casserole which i think rank at the bottom of dave and i's (laughs) thanksgiving food they absolutely do I like green beans a lot. I think it's just the texture of green bean casserole that I don't love. Mm. Yeah, that's one part of it. That's my two cents. But anyway, so you guys had good Thanksgivings? Yeah. 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 Small okay. gatherings this year, but yeah, I can't complain. Hey, got to be smart. Yeah, it didn't go anywhere. Stayed home, but it was right. still good. Responsible citizen. <laughs> that I am. I saw some people down the street were not. They had like a million cars at their house. Mm, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So I have a little fun game for us to get started here before we get into some of this heavy shit. We're going to do one of these uh, eliminate one. I'm going to give you three options and you have to get rid of one. Wipe it from the earth 
as if it never existed. Okay. Yes. First one, baseball, basketball, football. Which one would you wipe from the earth and never existed? Basketball, football. I'm, I'm with Ian. I'm basketball. Not a fan. Football, Dave. That's surprising. Eh, ba- baseball is America's pastime, and you know, I can't get rid of basketball. Okay. Um, there's a good one. Movies, music, or books? The American answer would be books. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough one there, buddy. I know it. I don't even know if I can answer that. It's harder than Sophie's Choice. <laughs> this really pains me to do this, but I'd have to get rid of movies. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would get rid of movies, too. I think if, but it would, it's tough for me. I would absolutely keep books. It's tough between movies and music. Mm. But I guess, I mean, I listen to more music than I watch movies, so I would have to say movies. Dave, I can, get, I can come back to you if you'd like. Well, we, we, we can go to some other stuff. <laughs> I mean, the reasonable intelligence side of me said I would get rid of movies, but I'm going to get rid of books, I think, because I'm, I'm a lazy <laughs> asshole wow. these days, and I can't get rid of movies. Wow. <laughs> Made fun of Americans, then picked books himself. <laughs> I'm so ashamed. <laughs> um, all right. Hot sauce, mustard, salad dressings. One has to go. And salad dressings means all salad dressings. Uh mustard yeah mustard well me too clean sweep mm-hmm. i love mustard but i feel like things you use it for you can easily replace with something else and still be fine yeah okay here's another one cookies pie ice cream cookies that's easy then ian won't get mad at me anymore so it's a win-win it's a win-win. <laughs> so just to spare your life cookies <laughs> um get rid of ice cream wow we're gonna go all different because i'd say pie hmm Interesting. Not getting rid of my really Ben like and Jerry's, I'll tell you that. What did you say, Dave? I said, you're not going to get rid of my Ben and Jerry's, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Your Hagen days? <laughs> Hagen days. Hagen days? <laughs> it's imported, boy. Hagen days. <laughs> <laughs> what episode was that? Well, I have no idea. It was funny, though. <laughs> Anyways. All right, here's one. Your penis, One of these, your balls, or your head. Like, that's what ooh, these interesting. are. Interesting. You said that because this is a body part and you have to amputate something. <laughs> Damn it. Sorry. Although I did not go so extreme. Would you rather, what, what, if you, one of these has to be amputated? One of your ears, one of your big toes, or one of your pinky fingers? Uh, big toe. Does losing a big toe affect your balance? I think it would affect your balance greatly. Like, you, or, I mean, you'd figure it out, but you'd have to, like, relearn how to walk, I think. Yeah, I'm good with that. I think I would almost take big toe too. I wouldn't want to do the ear. It would either be big toe or pinky finger. But I guess I would just do. I would do big toe. Maybe if you do your ear, you're cool like Van Gogh, and like becomes your identity. Like maybe that's a cool way to go. It could be. I mean, it's it's unique. Hmm. I feel like the pinky doesn't really serve that much purpose. No, I think that would just be more of like an a, a aesthetic thing. Like you know, yeah. do you just want to look? You know, that would be the only difference there. I'm going pinky pinky all right my knuckles wouldn't make sense anymore if i lost a pinky my tattoos on my knuckles so. <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> no regrets when i'd lose my coke my coke nail on my pinky so that wouldn't work out so well. <laughs> dave you're way too much of a nail biter like me to have uh, coke nails oh, that's true <laughs> i would never last in the coke world because of that <laughs> hi i'll have one coke please so I ordered my drugs. 
hello, may I have a Coke, please? And also four marijuanas. <laughs> That's like it's always sunny where they go to get crack and they they roll up to that guy and they're like, so I guess we'd like to buy one crack rock, please. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about that one. <laughs> Oh, that's great stuff. All right, I have one now specific for each of you. Music. Dave, one has to go. Black Sabbath, Slayer, Judas Priest. Judas Priest. Damn it. I, I was hoping that'd be tough. I couldn't think of a third band that you really liked on the level of Sabbath and Slayer. I'm mad at myself for making that too easy. See? All right, Ian, your three mm -hmm. favorites. One has to go. Nickelback, Britney Spears, Asking Alexandria. <laughs> oh, man. Now, this is, he's like salivating. He gets to get rid of one of these forever. <laughs> yeah. uh, is there an option for all three to go? Or does that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'd take Asking Alexandria out of there. Wow. You really hate them. I just don't love it. <laughs> you probably just didn't like them, but now you hate them because of my constant jokes about you loving them. That might be that. I don't know. I did. They popped up on something of mine on Apple Music. I don't know if it. I don't know what it was, but they popped up on it. it I don't. I don't know when it was, but not that long ago. I'm like, I'll try it. I'll, I'll listen to these dudes again. I listen like 30 seconds. I'm like, yeah, fuck this. These guys are fucking terrible. <laughs> Thumbs down the song. Skip next. <laughs> all right. Well, what? that was all my questions. Unless you guys have any that you want to do, but that was all mine. No, I don't have anything. That's uh, all right. Mm -hmm. it's a good that was, a good, that was yeah. a good set. Yeah. I stumped Dave on one, so I'm happy with that. That was a tough one, though. Hey, you made me get rid of books. I mean, come on. Well, I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, everyone always says the books are better than the movies, so just get rid of the movies and read the books. Mm, I spend a large portion of my life watching film, so. <laughs> I like how he says watching film. No, he sits <laughs> on his couch, he eats snacks, and he watches movies all day. He's not there studying film. I'm a connoisseur of film. I go to film festivals. <laughs> the fuck out of here. It's true. You have you Every year you watch all of the Academy Award Best Picture nominees? That's, that's true. Here's a question for you, Dave, and then we'll get into the topic. What... I brought this up a minute ago. Everyone always says books are better than movies. What off the top of your head is a movie that was better than the book? It doesn't have to be like the number one, but just off the top of your head, oh, one geez. that you can think of. Um, like I know like the Jack Reachers. Are those movies better? No, they are. Or like that Ready Player One? No, absolutely not. Um, that's Harry Potter's. I never read Harry Potter books. Oh, okay. Lord of the Rings. I didn't love those movies. That's a tough you one. You did though, or did I did not love those movies. They were a oh. little drawn out and, and long and slow. Well, maybe that'll be the cliffhanger. you got to think about it and then get back to us either at the end of the show or next week. All right, I'll think about it. That's a tough one, though. That's not usually the case. All right, I'm going to make a note to ask you at the end of the episode. All right, anyways, that's enough lollygagging. Yeah, we can dive on in. Tonight we are going to be talking about Fred and Rosemary West. Fred West was born on September 29th, 1941 at... Bickerton Cottage, Muchmarkle, Herefordshire, and was the first surviving child born to Walter West and Daisy West. In 1946, the family moved to Moorcourt Cottage at Moorcourt Farm, where Fred's father worked as a milking herdsman and a harvest hand. The cottage had no electricity and was heated by a log fireplace. By 1951, Fred's mother had given birth to eight children, six of whom survived, but Fred was always his mother's favorite. And we will see why in a little bit here. Because he was such a kind, gentle fella? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, great. 
the West family was pretty isolated to themselves socially, and the children were expected to perform assigned chores, and all six did seasonal work. The three girls picking hops and strawberries, and the three boys harvesting wheat and hunting rabbits. Classmates recalled Fred was not really smart, didn't really care about school, and was always in trouble. Early on, Fred developed a habit of stealing things, which is pretty common for serial killers. He dropped out of school in December of 1956 at the age of 15 and initially started working as a laborer on the Moorcourt farm. Is that one of the McDonald triad features? I don't think we've talked about that in a while. No, but it pops up with a lot of these guys. Um, a lot of thieves. And they're not real good at it, too, right? Yeah, they're, they're usually shit at doing it. Yeah. What is the McDonald triad again? Every time we talk about it, we joke about McDonald's. <laughs> it's bedwetting, fire starting. Killing animals. And what else? Yeah. Is that okay? But I, uh, someone, after the last time we spoke about it, someone messaged us and said that they've actually been relooking at that and kind of like adjusting it in recent years. That maybe that's not as accurate anymore. I don't know. Yeah. The, the one that pops out in my mind that we've done an episode on already is uh, Jerry Brudos. He loved to steal stuff. Mm. So, Mike, what would you add to the McDonald triad? Would you replace one of the which which three of the McDonald triad would you take out based on your extensive knowledge of serial killers now and add in its place? I think I would take out the fire starting. I would take out the fire starting and the bedwetting and I would replace them with people who shit on Nickelback (laughs) and people who aren't sophisticated enough to understand NASCAR. (laughs) sophisticated enough i think those two as well as torturing animals okay uh, all right that's that's a pretty clear cut uh you might be a serial killer sophisticated that was a left turn that was another left turn that was a left turn too see we put him on the list we got to watch out for dave (laughs) like i said we we would see why fred's mother favored him over the other children in a minute here At 12 years old, Fred's mother took his virginity, and his father introduced him to bestiality with farm animals and more incest. Fred and his father together regularly raped Fred's younger sisters. I guess one might call it his bang mitzvah. (laughs) (laughs) 12 years old. Holy shit. Happy birthday to me, right? Yeah, I guess so. Do we think this is... Go plow your mom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> plow the fields and plow your mom. <laughs> right. Is this something that's more common with, I don't, I don't know, I, I hate to say country people, but, you know, country people that we're maybe not aware of, or back in those days at least, I wonder. I, yeah, I, I mean, I they're very self-isolated, like we said a little bit ago, they're, they were very isolated from the rest of the community, so growing up, Fred would have had no, I mean, this was completely normal to him. He didn't have any outside influence saying, hey, you shouldn't be banging your mom. Yeah. When this is all you or know. Or raping your sisters. Yeah. If it's all you know, it seems normal. Mm. Shortly after his 17th birthday, Fred bought a motorcycle and two months later suffered a fractured skull, a broken arm, and a broken leg in the accident. He was unconscious for seven days and walked with braces for several months. That's something that I would put in the McDonald triad because it seemed it would replace it with either bedwetting or fire starting because it seems like almost all of these guys have had some form of a head injury as a child or or early yeah. on like teenage years yeah that's didn't right we just cover we just covered that with Dahmer didn't we Dahmer we had the talk? the um the hernia thing the hernia that's right. Gacy yeah, surgery. Just, just in and out of like health scares yeah that's what right. it was it was Gacy got a head injury I believe 
Yeah, Gacy okay. had a head injury. Son of Sam had a head injury. We haven't covered Henry Lee Lucas yet, but he had a significant head injury. A lot of these guys had some traumatic mm. head injury at some point. Well, Mike, you're a Bundy expert. Did uh, good old Ted ever have any head injuries? Well, I don't want to spoil. We'll wait for those episodes. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, we'll wait. Because of this incident, Fred developed an extreme fear of hospitals and started to show fits of rage. Two years later, Fred suffered another head injury when he groped a girl on a fire escape outside of a local youth club, and she punched him in the face, knocking him down two floors. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. Fuck his ass up. If I had the rights cleared, I would play Chris Tucker right now. You got knocked the fuck out, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Speaking that, of that, you said he had a, a fear of hospitals. Um, do you guys have any, like irrational phobias of anything because when um, it said hospitals it reminded me like i'm not afraid of hospitals but i have this really weird phobia of stretchers i've never been on one in my life but i can't go near them without being very uncomfortable wow. mm. like as a kid i would never like you know you can go like tour like the fire department or whatever or like they let you go in like the ambulances i could never do that because i would not get close to a stretcher mm. i will not do anesthesia for anything really yeah Never like never had like a phobia of just being put under like you don't want to be unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Without getting into like a whole deal. Um, I, just based on a car wreck that I was in, I I've ignored a surgery that I'm supposed that I'm supposed to have back when I was 16 in my shoulder because I just will not be put under for it. So I just live mm -hmm. with it. And it also stopped you from being a you know world champion cage fighter because you're afraid to get knocked out. It did. it did. That's the only reason why you're not a world champion cage fighter. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. That was it. Mm. Dave, anything or are you just Mr. Brave over there? I, I don't like insects or bugs. Not really my thing. Okay. It's very. And apparently you have a phobia of books and that's why you got rid of them. <laughs> I, I knew I was going to regret that one. I'm a big bug pussy. I don't like bugs. That's the one area I feel brave in because I'm not at all afraid of like in insects or spiders. So like if someone's like freaking out, I have no problem just going over there and like smacking it with my hand to like kill it yeah. or, you know, get something out of there. Good uh -huh. for you. It's the one area I can feel maybe halfway like a man about. <laughs> let, let me have it. In June 1961, Fred's 13 year old sister, Kitty, told her mother that Fred had been raping her since the previous December and had impregnated her. Oddly, his parents turned him into the police for this, and I say oddly because this is behavior that his father taught him. He was arrested, and Fred freely admitted to the police he'd been molesting young girls since his early teens and asked, quote, doesn't everybody do it? I got a clip here of Fred's father asking him about it. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. <laughs> See, he learned it by watching him. <laughs> It's amazing, Dave, the, just the investigatory uh, journalist in you that goes out and finds yeah. all these clips just for the show. I spent all week like you, trying to find it. Yeah, you found uh, audio of Fred talking to his dad. <laughs> I had to go deep into the archives for that one. <laughs> that is such a weird, like, that's just so crazy. Doesn't everybody do it? Mm. Like, and I'm assuming he didn't say that to be like a smart ass. He might have just been because it said he was freely talking to the police. So, like, in his mind, he's thinking, this is how people act. That's so fucked up. Yeah, country bumpkin, no, no access to the outside world. Him, you know, him and his dad are, are banging his sister, raping his sisters. Mom's banging him. He doesn't know any better. Yeah, his dad taught him to fuck sheep. 
was a bad I, I, speci- boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, specifically, Fred said that his dad taught him to hold the the back legs of a sheep down with the with your boots a certain way to oh. fuck them, and they can't get away. Oh. I mean, so where's this guy supposed to go in life? Yeah, sure. I'm not making excuses for him. He's still a no. piece of shit, but. Yeah, this is as for looking at this as like this is the way this kid was raised. That's fucked. He was tried for this on November 9th, 1961. And because Kitty ended up refusing to testify, the case collapsed. Much of Fred's family disowned him and his mother kicked him out of the house. So he moved in with his aunt Violet. Mm. Also, I found a little known fact that the she went on to have that kid. And that kid ended up starring as Jason Voorhees in the original Friday the 13th. No special effects were needed at all. No makeup. <laughs> Kid was kind I of choked on my drink. Semi-famous movie star. Which in Ian and I's world wouldn't exist anymore. Because <laughs> we out, we kicked movies into the curtain. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you go read the encyclopedia, fellas. I'm going to go watch Friday the 13th. You know what? Damn it, I will. <laughs> a year after this, Fred became reacquainted with a woman named Catherine Bernadette Costello in September of 1962, when he was 21. He had first met Catherine at a much marked dance hall in 1960 and dated her for several months before she returned to Scotland. Catherine was pregnant by an Asian bus driver at the time she started dating Fred and relocated from Glasgow to England due to members of her family not being happy with her being pregnant with a mixed-race child. She married Fred on November 7, 1962, with the only member of Fred's family attending being his younger brother, John. That's the only one he didn't rape. <laughs> right, pretty much. That we know of. <laughs> yeah. That we know of. The couple initially lived in Fred's aunt's house, then moved to Coatbridge, where Fred worked as an ice cream truck van driver. That's not oh, a perfect. Good yeah, he should be selling treats to kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, it's the good humor man, Fred West. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine's daughter, Charmaine, was born in March of 1963, and to explain the child's mixed race, Catherine and Fred claimed that she had suffered a miscarriage and Charmaine was adopted. Shortly thereafter, the couple moved to the Bridgeton district of Glasgow, which just seems like a really not believable lie at all. Like one day she's nine months pregnant, next time they see her she had a miscarriage. But then oh, has yeah, an adopted we, baby. Right. Yeah. It's not like the adoption the process doesn't take like years and years. Yeah. Well, Mike, babies grew on trees back then. You just pick one off. They were everywhere. That's true. That's true. I forgot about that. Oh, I miss tree babies. <laughs> Before your time. In July 1964, Catherine and Fred had a daughter named Anna Marie. The child was born at the couple's house. The family nanny, Issa McNeil, and neighbors of the West recall Catherine as a considerate mother, quote, struggling to bring up two children. Fred almost immediately abused his children. He kept the girls in the bottom bunk of a bed that was fitted with bars in the spaces between the bunks, effectively caging them. They were only allowed out when he was at work. Through their nanny, the West became acquainted with 16-year-old Anne McFall, a friend of Issa McNeil's, and Anne would spend a great deal of time at the West's flat. Fred later admitted to having numerous affairs in the early years of his marriage and fathered one illegitimate child with another woman. How many illegitimate sheep, though, Ian? How many illegitimate sheep? (laughs) (laughs) Probably too many to keep track of. (laughs) He really pulled the wool over his wife's eyes, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
when Catherine found out, she began an affair with a man named John McLaughlin. When Fred found the two together, he punched Catherine. In response, John punched Fred, who drew a knife and grazed John's abdomen. When John punched him for a second time, Fred stopped fighting back. And years later, John recalled, quote, he couldn't tackle a man, but he wasn't so slow in attacking women. Hashtag big pussy. (laughs) John and Catherine continued their affair, and John became increasingly angry with the fact that oftentimes Catherine had bruises and black eyes. On each occasion, it became apparent that Fred had been beating his wife, and John extensively would beat Fred. Uh, One specific time, John witnessed Charmaine, a little older than a toddler at the time, asked Fred for ice cream from his van. In response, Fred hit her across the head, causing another beating from John. So imagine every week your wife's boyfriend, he first he whoops your ass, then he plows her ass. <laughs> it's like super cuck. <laughs> but in this case, it's deservingly so. Well, like this guy's absolutely. fucking a piece of shit. Like this is the most well-deserved cucking in the history of cucking. <laughs> this is a really odd dynamic here with these two because she's still staying with Fred, but pretty much openly having this affair at this point to the point where this John McLaughlin guy's around enough to see Fred hitting his kids and then beat Fred's ass for it. It's really weird. Right. Hey, Fred, take a hint. Stop beating your kid. And this guy's not going to keep beating your ass. (laughs) (laughs) On November 4th, 1965, Fred accidentally ran over and killed a small boy in Glasgow with his ice cream truck van. Fred was cleared of any wrongdoing by the police because they determined it to be an accident, but he feared the response from the community. So in December, he moved back to Gloucester with Charmaine and Anne Marie, renting a caravan at the Timberland Caravan Park in Bishop's Cleeve, which I guess over there in the UK, a caravan park is like a trailer park here. Yeah, right. So he took the two, the two girls with him and left Catherine behind at this point. Yeah, that seems responsible. Let him go with the abusive father. A little while later, in February 1966, Catherine joined him, accompanied by their nanny, Issa McNeil, and Issa's friend, Anne McFall, who also moved into into Fred's caravan. Shortly after the move, Fred found employment driving a lorry for a local abattoir. For our American friends, a lorry is a truck, and an abattoir is a slaughterhouse. Uh, see, they would have known, Dave, but you got rid of books, so they're not smart anymore. <laughs> you should have read them before I banished and burned all the books. <laughs> no, I was going to actually say the rule was you like you erase their entire history like books never existed. Oh, we that was going to be if you guys that. asked. Well, I was going <laughs> to because if you guys were going to ask, because like I didn't want you to be like, well, I could, you know, I'll banish. I'll get rid of movies because I could just go back and watch old ones. But no, my point was they never existed. Oh, well, I'm changing my answer. I'm getting rid of music. And I'll have books and I'll just watch concert films and movies. So gotcha. How about that? But there's no, but music didn't exist. So there is no concerts. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I try to sneak that. Anyways, we're, we keep going back. People are like, what the fuck? Move on, assholes. <laughs> by early 1966, Fred had begun to show dominance and control over all three women. He was prone to violent mood swings and Catherine and Issa typically were on the receiving end. At this time, he also started to sexually abuse Charmaine and encouraged Catherine to turn to prostitution to bring him more money. Finally having enough, Catherine called John McLaughlin, begging him to rescue her, Issa McNeil, and her children. Together, John, Catherine, and Issa came up with a plan. John and Issa McNeil's boyfriend, John Trotter, would secretly drive to Bishop's Cleave and 
John McLaughlin's car and discreetly take Catherine, her children, and Issa back to Scotland. Now, somehow through this whole process of all Fred sexually abusing this child, Charmaine, beating Issa and Catherine, Anne McFall became infatuated with Fred. What's well, not promised. the love, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> when you say Fred, it like that. <laughs> <laughs> and Fred promised to marry her. It's likely that she informed Fred of the plan as he arrived at the meeting time and an altercation ensued between Fred and John McLaughlin. Resulting Wait, let me in- guess. John beat his ass again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. He, he was holding on. Fred was holding on to the children, Charmaine and Anne Marie, while John McLaughlin was beating his ass. <laughs> Police were called and McLaughlin, Trotter, Issa and Catherine left with Fred killing the with Fred threatening to kill Catherine if he ever saw her again. So he left the this kids is, with him, huh? Yeah, I don't understand that. The kids were left with him and Anne McFall. Whew. That's that's rough, man. Mm. And I like how when they're leaving, though, tough guy Fred, he's only threatening Catherine, not saying shit to John. Did, did Was Catherine aware of the abuse from Charmaine at this point? Do you know? I'm not completely clear. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. It wasn't like Catherine just completely left these kids behind because she would frequently travel to England to visit Charmaine and Anne-Marie while they lived with Fred at at Bishop's Cleave. Despite initially maintaining her friendship with Anne McFall, Catherine soon began to resent her and hated her being around her daughters. On October 11th, in an act of resentment, Catherine stole some belongings from Fred's caravan and returned to Glasgow. She was arrested the following month and returned to Gloucester to face trial. On November 28th, Catherine was sentenced to three years probation. After the trial, Anne McFall moved into the caravan at the Timberland Caravan Park, and Catherine alternated between living with Fred and returning to Glasgow. So, after all this, Catherine is back living with Fred, part-time at least. Crazy. Letters Anne McFall sent to her family and East McNeil in Glasgow between 1966 and 1967 show that she believed a relationship with Fred could offer her a better life than she had experienced in Scotland, and she tried to talk Fred into divorcing Catherine so that he could marry her. From what I read, Anne McFall did not have a great life before she met up with Fred West. Mm. She was very, uh, came from a very poor family, just wasn't great, so she didn't see fred how everybody else you know a normal someone from a normal upbringing would see fred right which is sad in itself yeah well so that's her reasoning but that still doesn't explain ian why you think jody arias is marriage material (laughs) what's your excuse pally i'll save that for a later time (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't actually looking for an answer (laughs) no need to go into any of those explanations (laughs) jody arias available back in the archives the Patreon, Patreon archives. archives. Yeah. I thought we released it, didn't we? No, sir. No. Oh, I thought we released that one uh, afterwards, like to the public. Or did we, we recorded that one because we released something other way, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to hear it, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. It's a good one. Jody. It uh, is one of our, maybe our best bonus show. In July, 1967, Ann McFall, now age 18, and eight months pregnant with Fred's child vanished. After an argument, Fred stabbed her to death. 
Fred then decapitated her, removed her kneecaps, fingers, toes, and cut the baby from her stomach. He then discarded the body, and Anne was never reported as missing. Did he keep the baby? Like, alive he cut it from her? Uh, no. Oh, no, the baby did imagine. not survive. Oh. Yeah. Mm. What's the point of cutting someone's kneecaps off? Like, I don't... We've never... I've never heard of that before. That's a new one. That's just... Yeah. That seems odd. Yeah, we're going to see this. The, the kneecaps, fingers, and toes are, for whatever reason, Fred Fred likes removing those. Hmm. Maybe for the keeps, keepsakes. It, it, and the kneecaps aren't like, he doesn't like cut, like dissect or, you know, like dismember, like cut them out. He pops them out. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think it's all that time working at the abattoir. I taught him how to do that. Oh, I bet. Yeah. The following month, Catherine returned to live with Fred and the couple relocated to the Lake House Caravan Park. Their relationship initially improved, but Catherine left the following year, again leaving the children in Fred's care. On these occasions when Fred had no woman to supervise and care for the girls, he temporarily placed them in the care of, Gla- of Gloucester Social Services. <laughs> I'm going out tonight. Let's take them, click, take them to Children's Services. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know how that works. You can just pick your kids back up from social services. Yeah, like free daycare. This At this point in the story, this brings us to Rosemary Letts. Rosemary Letts was born November 29th, 1953 in Northam, Devon to William Letts and Daisy Fuller. She was the fifth of seven children born into a poor family. Rose's mother suffered from depression and was given electroshock therapy while pregnant with Rose, which most definitely caused some prenatal damage to Rose. They used to do that, huh? That's wild. You know they still do that? Electroshock? Mm-hmm. Still available. Maybe not when you're pregnant? I, I would assume not, but mm. I, I don't see how that would even still be available to this day, but it is. Interesting. Maybe it works? Yeah. I don't know. We'll try it on Mike. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> Probably work better than hypnot hypnotizing me we'll, just, we'll have them piss on the electric fence like they used to do in jackass yeah <laughs> rose was nicknamed dozy rosie by her family because she was quote slow rose would swing her head around for most of the day in silence and from accounts just swinging her head around in circles that you would assume would make somebody extremely dizzy but she would just sit there and do it forever mm. didn't get her any help or reach out to anybody they just called her dozy rosie and like, oh, that's Dozy Rosie doing her doing thing. Her thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Once hitting puberty, Rose would deliberately walk naked or semi-naked around the house in the presence of her younger brother, Graham. On numerous occasions at the age of 13, she would also sneak into Graham's bed at night and molest him and her youngest brother, Gordon. Mm, things are already out of control over here. Yeah. Mm. Rose's parents separated when she was a teenager she lived with her mother and attended Cleve School for six months and later moved in with her father at the age of 16. Her father, who suffered from schizophrenia, was extremely violent and repeatedly sexually abused Rose and her oldest sister, Patricia. The incestuous relationship between Rose and her father would last well into her meeting Fred West. Is there anyone in this story who's not a sexual abuser? The sheep. <laughs> I mean, come on. Mm. So it seems like another case, just like Fred, of growing up in this, so things seem normal to you. We'll be right back. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it. 
These are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash necro. Fred first met Rosemary in early 1969, shortly after her 15th birthday. The two first met at a bus station, and initially Rose was disgusted by Fred, but she quickly changed her mind based on the attention Fred showed her. Twice Rose refused to go on a date with Fred, but allowed him to take her home. In their initial conversations, Fred quickly discovered that although Rose had never had a boyfriend, she was very promiscuous. He also played the sympathy card, claiming that he and his two daughters had been abandoned by his wife and that he wanted to have more children. So he was, what, about 28 at this point, so almost twice her age. Yeah, yeah, this is not great. Is that a good come on for a fi- to a 15-year-old, I want to have more kids? <laughs> Doesn't seem great. <laughs> well, but in, in her case, too, right, with everything she's been through, like, she's getting all this attention from a guy. Yeah. Like, you know. And probably maybe trying to find a way out of her, her situation, yeah. Right. Unfortunately, it it makes sense. Finding out Rose worked in a nearby bread shop, a few days later after their first encounter, Fred persuaded an unknown woman to go into the shop and give Rose a gift and say that, quote, a man outside asked her to do it. Minutes later, Fred entered the shop and asked Rose to go on a date with him that night, which Rose accepted. So is it safe to say that since Rose worked at a bread shop that she was probably good at making things rise? (laughs) just curious i don't know yes i don't know what's so funny i'm just talking about yeast and other bread making activities obviously (laughs) shortly after this rose began a relationship with fred and taking care of charmaine and anna marie who at the time she noticed were neglected and at first rose treated the girls with a lot of care and affection 
within weeks of her first meeting Fred, Rose left her job at the bread shop in order to become the nanny to Charmaine and Anna Marie. This decision was made with the agreement that Fred would provide her with enough money to give to her parents on Fridays to convince them she was still working at the bread shop. Several months later, Rose introduced Fred to her family, who were not fans of Fred at all. Rose's mother, Daisy, immediately realized that Fred was a pathological liar, and her father, Bill, threatened Fred and promised to call social services if he continued to date his daughter. Look here, Freddy. Only I get to fuck my daughter, not you. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Why, why is Bill getting on his high horse here calling uh, social services? <laughs> only one of Bill's us gets get- to have Rose, and it ain't you, Fred. <laughs> Bill's getting cucked by another guy over his own daughter. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, this is an awful story. It's, it's sad when cucking is the most wholesome part of this entire story. Yeah, right. When Rose's mother heard that Rose planned to get married to Fred, she contacted social services. In response, Rose was placed in a home for troubled teenagers in August of 1969 and only allowed to leave under controlled conditions. When allowed to return home to visit her parents at weekends, Rose would sneak out and visit Fred. So they weren't keeping a very good eye on her. On her 16th birthday, Rose left the home for troubled teenagers to return to her parents and Fred at the time was serving a 30-day sentence for theft and unpaid fines. Upon Fred's release, Rose left her parents' home to move in with Fred. Shortly after, Fred picked up Charmaine and Anna Marie from social services. And that is the most dumbfounding thing in this story to me. So at this point is why social services just kept letting this guy drop his kids off and pick them back up. It's not a daycare service. Yeah, right. It's social services. You think like he calls himself and reports himself. Yeah, I saw saw him beating the kids again. (laughs) He's like building his own file. Yeah, right. Got rid of him for the weekend now. Awful. Rose's father made one final effort to prevent his daughter from dating Fred. And Rose was examined by a police surgeon in February 1970 who confirmed that she was pregnant. The timeline of this pregnancy lines up more with the baby being Rose's father's instead of Fred's because Fred was in prison. Oh, man. Yeah. I, Take a swim. I don't in know. And this pool. is even and this is even the part uh, a part in it where Rose could have easily said, no, I've been having sex with my dad. Yeah. And then, her, you know, I, I the balls on this on this on her dad to even contact the police and have her examined by the police when he's been having sex with her. Yeah. Right. I mean, unless, you know, he's just probably like, you know, a dumb hillbilly and doesn't know any better and, you know, just thinks that he's going to try to get Fred in trouble and doesn't even make the connection that there could be consequences for his actions. In response to this, Rose was again placed into care, but was discharged on March 6th on the understanding she would terminate her pregnancy and return to her family. Instead, Rose went to live with Fred. No charges against Fred. Were there statutory rape charges or anything like that? Or was that not even a consideration? No, that wasn't even a consideration Mm. as far as I read. Interesting. On October 17th, 1970, Rose gave birth to a daughter her and Fred named Heather Ann. Two months later, Fred was sent to prison for the theft of car tires and a vehicle tax disc. He remained in prison until June 24th, 1971. As he served this six-and-a-half-month sentence, Rose, now just 17, looked after all three children, with Charmaine and Anna Marie being told to refer to Rose as their mother. 
As you can imagine, Rose was not a great mother and was known to oftentimes say, quote, breasts are for fucking, not for feeding when taking care of her baby daughter, Heather. <laughs> okay. My wife has that tattooed on her chest. It's classy, dude. I love it. <laughs> classy so, I mean, lady, Fred, Rose West. Girl classy. <laughs> like she's taking care of three girls. So who's she telling this to? The other two girls in the room? Like the, like the be, kids? Well, they lived in a flat. At this time, they're, they're in the flat like apartment. So she's just telling people in the apartment complex this oh, kind of stuff. Mother of the year. <laughs> According to Anna Marie, she and Charmaine were frequently subjected to criticism, beatings, and other forms of punishment throughout the time they lived under Rose's care. Anna Marie recalled that Charmaine repeatedly infuriated Rose by her refusal to either cry or display any sign of emotion, no matter how severely she was physically punished. This is so sad for these daughters. I, I feel just makes me sick all this shit they had to go through that girl's like seven years old yeah right despite the years of neglect and abuse charmaine would hold out hope saying quote mommy will come save me oh my god a childhood friend of charmaine's named tracy giles who had lived in the upper flat would later recall an incident in which she had entered the west flat unannounced only to see charmaine naked and standing on a chair gagged with her hands bound behind her back with a belt as Rose stood next to her with a large wooden spoon. According to Giles, Charmaine had been, quote, calm and unconcerned, while Anna Marie had been standing by the door with a blank expression on her face. A hospital records show that Charmaine had received treatment for a severe puncture wound to her left ankle in the casualty unit of the Gloucester Royal Hospital on March 28, 1971. This incident was explained by Rose to have resulted from a household accident. And we'll see in a bit here that there are multiple records of these kids being taken to the hospitals and it's always an accident. Yeah. After one of these, these beatings, Rose killed Charmaine and it's believed to happen shortly before Fred's prison release on the date of June 24th, 1971. She is known to have taken Charmaine, Anne-Marie, and Heather to visit Fred on June 15th. It's believed to be on or very shortly after this date that Charmaine was murdered. Under further testimony from Tracy Giles' mother, Shirley, it corroborated the fact that Charmaine had been murdered before Fred had been released on June 24th. According to Shirley Giles, she had brought Tracy to visit Charmaine only for Tracy to be told by Rose, quote, She's gone to live with her mother in bloody good riddance. Ugh. Imagine her sisters and just one day she's gone. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Like she told Shirley, Rose explained Charmaine's disappearance to others who asked where she was by claiming that Catherine had called and taken Charmaine to live with her in Bristol. She informed staff at Charmaine's school that the child had moved with her mother to London. So she's telling everybody different places. Mm. Charmaine's body was hidden in the coal cellar of the flat unit until Fred was released from prison. He later buried her naked body in the yard close to the back door of the flat, and he remained adamant that he had not dismembered her. However, a subsequent autopsy suggested the body had been severed at the hip, and several bones, particularly kneecaps, fingers, and toes, were missing from her skeleton. Mm. So how does this work? He comes home and she says, oh, by the way, I killed your daughter? Pretty much. <laughs> Jesus. And the thing is, is as uh, is as cruel as it is to say, Charmaine didn't mean shit to 
Fred or Rose. It wasn't his daughter, yeah. Right, it wasn't his daughter. It was the it Asian was bus from, driver. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Mm. Wow. Ugh, that's that awful, poor, man. Poor girl. Mm. According to Fred's sister-in-law, Christine, Catherine wanted to get her children back, so Christine gave her Fred and Rose's address. In mid-August 1971, Catherine went to confront Fred, and this was the final time she was seen alive. She is believed to have been murdered by strangulation, possibly in the backseat of Fred's Ford Popular, and while likely intoxicated. Because what how it's said is that Fred took her out for drinks when she came. It was like, okay, you can have the kids back. Let's relax. Let's yeah. get a drink and stuff. And then killed her. Well, you can't explain where the kid is, right? So you got to do something. Yeah, right. When her body was discovered, a short length of metal tubing was found with her remains, showing the possibility she had been restrained and sexually assaulted prior to her murder. Catherine's body was extensively dismembered, placed into plastic bags, and buried close to a cluster of trees about one mile from Much Markle. And again, no fingers, no toes, no kneecaps. Mm, weird. Following all of this, on January 29th, 1972, Fred and Rosemary got married. Fred lied to the register, saying that he wasn't married. No family or friends were invited, apart from Fred's brother, John, who acted as his best man. So John's sticking by him through yeah, all right. this whole time. He's for real. <laughs> well, technically, he's not married anymore, right? He just killed the first wife. I mean... <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows that. According to everybody else in the world, she's right. still alive. <laughs> right. Several months later, Rose got pregnant with her second child, and the couple moved from Midland Road to the infamous address 25 Cromwell Street. To pay the West purchasing of the property, many of the upper floor rooms were initially converted into boarding rooms to help the household income. To maintain a degree of privacy for his family, Fred installed a cooker and a wash basin on the first floor landing so their lodgers didn't need to enter the ground floor where the West family lived, and only he and his family were permitted to access the garden in the back of the property. Mm. And we'll definitely get into that garden <laughs> in part two. <laughs> A cooker? I assume that's some kind of stove, I guess? Probably. Yeah. On June 1st, Rose gave birth to a second daughter. The date of her birth led Fred and Rose to name the child May June. I, I think oh, some sterilization clever. was in order for these two <laughs> at this point. Mm. Shortly after giving birth to her second child, Rose began to work as a prostitute, operating from an upstairs room at their house and advertising her services in a local magazine. There's some holes in this house. There's some holes in this house. There's some holes in this house. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I think you really nailed it there. <laughs> to be clear, that was not me. That was uh, Dave's fancy little soundboard gimmick he's got over there. Has that ever been played on an actual Sunday show? Because that's from a bonus show. Oh, it? It, it, has, it has been. Oh. It has it been has. before. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. Fred encouraged Rose to get clients in the local West Indian community through these advertisements. In addition to her prostitution, Rose engaged in casual sex with both male and female lodgers within their household and individuals Fred encountered through his work. She also bragged to several people that no man or woman could completely satisfy her. Well, <laughs> sounds like it, right? Some uh, postpartum prostitution, Mike. Alliteration gold, am I right? 
<laughs> I mean, it gave me an alliteration boner. <laughs> when engaging in sex with women, Rose would gradually increase the level of brutality to which she subjected her partner with acts such as partially suffocating her partner or using increasingly large dildos. If the woman resisted or expressed any pain or fear, this would just be even better for Rose, who would typically ask, quote, aren't you woman enough to take it? So she just got off on hurting people. Yeah. To many of these women, it became clear that Rose and Fred took pleasure from taking women beyond their sexual limits, typically in sessions involving bondage. To build on these fetishes, they created a large collection of bondage and restraining devices, magazines, and photographs, later expanding this collection to include videos depicting bestiality and graphic child sexual abuse. Mm. I used to have a good uh, bestiality video. Yeah. It was called uh, Rover. What was it called? Rover Trigger Fido and Friends, I think it was called. It was wild, dude. I thought you were making a joke. Are you oh, fucking no. serious? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I thought you were joking, too. <laughs> it was from, like, East Germany or something. Like, wacky why did you? Why did you own this video? I don't know. I forget where it came from. It's just, like... Old I mean, I'm not one to kink. I'm not one to kink shame, but a little bit. I want to kink shame here. It's not really a kink. It was funny, but I didn't. I didn't <laughs> well, I'm just saying you own the video. Man. I don't know. Somebody borrowed it and I never got it back. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> they really liked the video. Right, we're talking like 30 years ago, but yeah. it was uh, like, I think it was horses and a German shepherd. What else was in there? An eel. I think the girl had an eel giving it to herself. Oh, my gosh. It was wild. Yeah. Okay. I would be afraid to even like Google some of this stuff because I don't want to know what comes up. Google Rover Trigger Fido and Friends. All right. I'm going to do it right now. Ian, continue. <laughs> I don't know if that comes up or not. <laughs> the room Rose used for prostitution was known throughout the West household as, quote, Rose's room and had several hidden peepholes allowing Fred to watch her have sex with her clients. He also installed a baby monitor in the room, allowing him to listen from elsewhere in the house. The room included a private bar and a red light outside the door to warn when Rose was not to be disturbed. Rose carried the only key to this room around her neck, and Fred installed a separate doorbell to the household, which Rose's clients were instructed to ring whenever they visited the house. He was all about it. He loved every second of it. Yeah. He was cuck positive. <laughs> he was. I mean, that's that's the true uh, definition of it. If this guy's getting off on it. Yeah, for sure. By 1977, Rose's father had come to tolerate her being married to Fred and kind of developed a respect for him. <laughs> a good job. pimping my daughter out. <laughs> Slapping him on the back. Good job. <laughs> Together, he and Fred opened a cafe that they named the Green Lantern, which very quickly went out of business. When Bill Letts discovered that his daughter Rose was working as a prostitute, he would also visit 25 Cromwell Street to have sex with his daughter. Stop yeah. it! <laughs> it is quite possible that, that is the most ridiculous sentence Ian you have ever said on this show. <laughs> When Bill Letts discovered Rose's prostitution, he would also visit to have sex with his daughter. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Good usually God. when we've told, had stories with sexual abuse, like incest stuff, it, it, it stops at a certain age. And sure. 
but this this didn't stop. Rose just rolled with it well into being an, an adult, mm-hmm. well into her father being old. Do we know if Fred knew about this? I'm sure he did. He right? wa- he 100 percent did. He watched. Oh my goodness! <laughs> this is off the rails. This is a horror house, a horror and a horror house. <laughs> a house of horror it, and horror. It, it works. So, <laughs> it works so many ways. <laughs> Jesus. So do you think like they passed back and forth sex tips about Rose, the dad and husband? Oh, my God. Can you imagine like, oh, you know, she likes it when you do this. <laughs> Just oh. imagine being OK with this situation. Yeah, it's it's almost yeah, like, impossible to imagine. Your bill lets you, your daughter is is, you know, having sex with all of these people, just strangers, random people coming in and out uh, of the house. And, and on top of that, you're into it and are one of the customers. Yeah. And her husband just watches the whole time. Like, like Bill Letts hated Fred when she first met him. Cause he thought, you know, that, that Fred was going to take Rose away from him. But now that he's pimping her out and Bill can go back and see her again, he's like, Oh, this guy's not the I love this guy now. <laughs> right. Like it's so fucking <laughs> twisted. Oof. By 1983, Rose had given birth to eight children, at least three of whom were conceived by her clients. Jesus Christ. She, like we said, she dealt exclusively with the West Indian population. Fred willingly accepted these kids as his own and falsely told them throughout their lives that the reason their skin was darker than their siblings was because his great grandmother was a black woman. Oh, well, I guess you got to explain it. When each of the West children reached the age of seven, they were assigned numerous daily chores to perform in the house. They were rarely allowed to socialize outside the house unless either Fred or Rose were present and had to follow strict guidelines with severe punishment, almost always being physical, being the penalty for not following the rules. And, and I would assume that them not being allowed to socialize unless Fred or Rose were present, so Fred or Rose could watch what they were saying. So they didn't mention anything that was going on in the house to someone. The kids feared physical beatings from their parents, the majority of which were done by Rose. The beatings were sometimes for no reason at all, just for Rose's gratification. And she always made sure not to leave marks on the kids' faces or hands in these assaults. Mike, how are you feeling about that death penalty uh, stance here so far in this story? (laughs) <laughs> i mean i'm still uh not for uh the murder of people um but you know if there ever were to be someone put down by the government <laughs> you wouldn't find me standing outside protesting this okay, one fair enough still not for it heather and her younger brother Stephen, both ran away from home but returned to cromwell street after several weeks of sleeping outside or staying with friends and both were beaten when they returned home. Between 1972 and 1992, the West children were admitted to the accident and emergency department of local hospitals 31 times. The injuries were always explained as accidents and were never reported to social services. That's crazy, too. Mm -hmm. 31 times you got kids coming in there from the same household. And how was that not reported? Like, where is the social worker there? I don't know. Man. I don't know how it works in the UK with that system, but um, yeah. that Netflix series that came out last year, the trial of Gabriel, the trials of Gabriel Gonzalez, it's it's shocking how many flaws are in the 
the children's services uh, yeah. system in our country. Oh, it's yeah. It's, so well, they ended up know, charging those people, didn't they? A couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. Some of like four of the social workers ended up getting charged for that. But they were ultimately well, I think it, acquitted. Yeah. I think it says a lot about their, their social system when you had fucking Fred dropping his kids off every weekend and, you know, yeah. Them, yeah. them not, you know, raising an eyebrow to it and then sending them right back with him. But, you know, if the hospital somehow would have could have spoken with social services, they could have been like, oh, Fred, we have a huge file on that guy. He drops his kids off here all the time. You know, maybe something could have been done. Getting into just kind of how abusive Rose was around the house. On one occasion, as her son Stephen was mopping the kitchen floor with a cloth, Rose accidentally stepped into the bowl of water he had been using. In response, Rose hit the boy over the head with the bowl and then repeatedly kicked him in the head and chest as she shouted, quote, you did that on purpose, you Uh little swine. On another occasion, Rose became furious about a missing kitchen utensil, then grabbed a knife she had been using to cut a slab of meat repeatedly giving light cut marks to her daughter May's chest until her rib cage was completely covered in small cuts. Oh my God. Even Fred became a recipient of Rose's violence. On one occasion in August, 1974, Rose chased after Fred with a carving knife in her hand. Fred was able to slam the door shut, which he ran into as Rose lunged at him with a knife resulting in the knife being stabbed into the door and three of Rose's fingers sliding down the blade, almost completely cutting them off. In response, Rose calmly wrapped a, in response, Rose calmly wrapped her hand in a towel and said, quote, look what you've done, fella. You've got to take me to the hospital now. That made me queasy just reading that and imagining my fingers sliding down a knife. Oh, yeah, that's rough. Although, fuck her. I'm glad it happened to her. Right. Give her some, you know, some injuries here. And that is where we will pick back up on part two. And part two, we will get into some really brutal sexual assaults they committed against their children, uh, the murders of at least 13 victims, and Fred and Rose's eventual arrests. I think this was enough, Ian. I don't need any more. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really need any more of this. Yeah, seriously. This is a, whew, this is a heavy episode. It only gets worse from here. Oh, great. Can't wait. Um, yeah, we got a, I don't know if we mentioned this at the start, um, but we, we had in the past and Dave, I know you saw a lot, a ton of requests for this story, right? People have been asking for this one for a while. Yeah. A lot of our friends in the UK, uh, you know, hometown hero and congrats guys. This did not disappoint. (laughs) So you should be proud to cheers. Got a real fucking winner of a story here. (laughs) Everyone's going to go to bed tonight, crying themselves to sleep after all this shit. (laughs) Yeah, they still have uh, they still have another child to kill of their own. Jesus. And then they have yeah, they have multiple women to murder next week. So stick around, folks. More feel good coming <laughs> to you next week. We'd love to have you back. <laughs> Positive talk with Necronomapod. All right, so part one, Ian. Uh, any final thoughts on this one? Nope, I got nothing left on it. It's. Uh, well, you know you've ruined you've ruined I've, all of our weekends enough with the story thus far. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I will I will say this is like a a story of fate. Really, these two coming together, it's like these two were made for each other. Yeah. What are the chances? I agree that these two came together and met. Could you imagine them dating or like first started dating? And Rose talks about how her dad sexually abuses her and 
Fred's like, oh, yeah, no way. My I was banging my mom at 12 years old. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh. Like you- this would be the worst rom-com of all time. <laughs> like everything. Like everything's all this crazy shit is just completely normal. To Maybe both they of set them. their parents up on a date. And they can, their parents could all, they can all just cuck each other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> just like fucking big orgies. Yeah. Ugh. You banged your dad? No way. I banged my mom. Hey, you want to go ruin a bunch of people's lives? <laughs> let's go fucking abuse kids. Let's have, let's make kids so we can abuse them. Ugh. Disgusting. Ugh. So, Dave, you got anything else for this one? Uh, no, I think we've said enough here tonight. <laughs> quite enough all right dave i'm gonna come back to you now we talked about at the beginning what is a movie that was better than the book i actually thought of one all right fight club oh okay Mm. so there you go better than the book then i will go ahead and skip that book because i have never made it through that movie without falling asleep (laughs) much like the matrix so much like the matrix so no wonder you're getting rid of uh movies come on yeah i don't know it's uh that's more that? ridiculous that, than Matrix, in my opinion. I can that, that, accept you falling asleep through Matrix, but Fight Club, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. Was that Brett Easton Ellis? That's American Psycho. Fight Club's Chuck Palahniuk. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm getting them mixed up. Yeah, um, I don't know. His books are hit or miss for me. Just like, I don't know. I, I don't think I've seen... I don't know what other books of his have been made into movies, but his his books in general, I either love them or hate them. Um, yeah, it's a lot sometimes. What was the other one? Choke? They make that a movie? I think that's the only. Did I they? So. I haven't read that one. Yeah. I read Snuff. Snuff was really good. Mm, Did you read that yeah, one, Dave? I don't think so. Uh, that's where they 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 kill like the a uh, porn star. Um, that was a really good book. The what else do you have? Damned. That's about a, a like a teenage girl who is playing some kind of like choking game with her friends and she dies mm. and it's about her going to hell. And then he wrote a follow up, which is about her in purgatory. I have not read that one, um, but I don't know. His stuff's hit or miss for me. So maybe that's why I don't dig the movie. I don't know. I'll watch that. I would watch that one again. The Matrix I've given up on. I'm not going to do the Matrix. <laughs> I would watch Fight Club again and, and give that a chance. <laughs> But okay, so there you had it. Dave got an answer. Fight Club, the movie, is go. better than the book. Just a reminder, we do have a Black Friday sale, which we've extended, and we're going to have it going for another few days or so. Uh, on our website, necronomapod.com, uh, you got uh, the sale on all of our koozies and our stickers, as well as our combo packs. Unfortunately, with our merch being on Amazon, we can't control any of the sale prices on that, so there won't be... Um, any sales for that but for the koozies and stickers available at necronomapod.com we got sales going on and we're going to run that through uh, uh, for a few more days so you can get your holiday shopping done if you wish to uh, purchase anything while supplies last once we are out of koozies and stickers that is it we don't have any more so and they're never coming back never coming back never ever again will we have them back we refuse that's it Um, obviously we're kidding maybe they'll come back who knows? Maybe new designs. So if you want these specific designs, you better get them while they last. Um, all right. Let's jump to Patreon. Got some shout outs here. First, uh, a couple of makeup ones that I, I, I need to do. I mispronounced some uh, a name, I think, last week or two weeks ago. So a shout out to Austin Dakin. Thank you very much. And then also uh, Ricky Rivera. Appreciate you guys uh, signing up for Patreon. And... Uh, showing us some some love 
Uh, also, we have new uh, patron subscribers this past week. Thank you very much to Kristen Robbins, Leanne Abrams, Kylie Wright, Kale James, Reza Blackmore, Anna Hook, Heather Phillips, Kristen Ashmead, Daniel Griffin, Taylor DeVore, Jasmine Nickel, Tyler V, Jordan Vinish, Let Hate Save You, Joshua, Vanessa Mananice, Workhorse, Jeffrey Royalty, Tyler Thornton, Becky Poth, Jenny Eustace, Jen, Kimberly Dixon, and Linda Nyberg. Appreciate you guys very much. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Rach Bag, Danny Mason, and Mick Rex. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. All right, Dave, what do you got for us? Well, in the bad review corner this week, I got a couple of <laughs> couple of folks to talk about. First, <laughs> I know this one. <laughs> it just reminded me what this one is. <laughs> so first up, we have uh, from TV Binge Kid. The review's titled Nope. That's it. Tried three episodes, hard nope. Victim blaming, sympathetic to serial killers, and wildly unnecessary and badly timed sexual innuendo. Nothing to see here, which I, I would disagree. Our, our comedic time is impeccable, sir. Impeccable. Literally all three things that fucko said are not true. <laughs> <laughs> that Literally all three. He yeah. must live in Dave's world where there's books don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this next one comes to us from MDNKSJSJ, and it's titled NNN. All right, so this winner's off to a real good start here. Get the liberal guy who wants health care for all to quit move to Venezuela. So I believe this is geared towards me because I, I think <laughs> I mentioned something about what communism is and is not on our recent show, and I talked about health care. So a, a couple things here. You need some help with forming complete sentences because this is not one. I doubt you could even locate Venezuela on a map, sir, so... <laughs> also, most industrialized countries have universal health care, jackass. So this whole Venezuela idea is nonsense that you heard somewhere that you don't really understand. So maybe you need to go back to the library and do a little reading before you comment further. <laughs> oh, boy. Liberal Dave going on a soapbox again. Oh, boy. So, Listen to this socialist. Oh, gosh. You need more books, fella. So I mean, come back and talk to well, us again sometime. Dave, you want last chance? You want to change your answer and put books back in our society? I already did. Well, you did when you thought you could watch concerts on tape, but music doesn't exist. <laughs> I think I slid that by you, didn't I? No. Of course, we got to put books back. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> this guy needs books right there. That guy. Well, Mr. Uh, hang on. Mr. M-D-N-K-S-J-S-J. He's a library card and he needs to use it frequently. <laughs> Sounds like a bot. It's a bot account. It's not even real. <laughs> Anyways. All right. You got anything else? Was that, is that it for this week? Just those two? Just those two. Two one stars. Right. So thank you very much for playing. Good stuff. Yeah. Well. <laughs> as soon as right. I read that one, I'm like, oh, man, this one, this is going to be good. <laughs> he likes the Venezuela. He should go move there. <laughs> An American fella, you want to give health care to people? Move to Venezuela. <laughs> Go live with Hugo Chavez. And it's not even like you went on a tangent about anything. Like, 
we don't even really do that on this show. So whatever mm. you said really ruffled some feathers. Well, it's just a ridiculous thing. How dare you care about people receiving medical treatment, Dave? My God. Communist bastards. <laughs> Let them die in the street if they can't afford health care. You ain't got a job with health care. Get you a new job, commie. Oh, man. <laughs> Amazon.com slash Necronomapod if you want any of our merchandise. We have plenty of T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, long sleeves, zip-ups, tank tops, all of that available there. New uh, new logos dropping um, every now and then. And we, tr we try to let you guys know when there's new logos uh, posted up there. But check it out. Lots of good stuff available for, uh, for your Christmas holiday shopping needs. Uh, Patreon.com slash Necronomapod if you wish to become a patron. we got three bonus shows a month. They are all uh, a lot of fun, and um, we tend to be a little bit more relaxed on those. And if you can imagine us being more relaxed and goofy and having a good time. Um, but we've, we've got a lot of good content on Patreon. And uh, we are on the socials at uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Necronomapod. Um, give us a follow or a like or a retweet or uh, whatever whatever you do on those socials. Um, and then again, the Black Friday sale at Necronomapod.com under the merch tab. Uh, go check that out. Stickers and koozies uh, on sale right now while supplies last. I think that about covers it. Such a feel-good story tonight. And we'll be back next week for uh, part two of this rager. All right. You guys ready for a cool-down beer? Cheers.